Chapter 9, Feels Like Home I brought you some cookies before you turn in, Neela said, setting down a plate. The delicious aroma of chocolate chips still molten from the oven enticed Peridot, but she remembered what Amarilla told her. I can't. Mama doesn't want me getting any fatter. You aren't fat. She apparently thinks otherwise. She'll never know, just eat them. And that's when Peridot let her suspicions set in. Why was Neela so insistent? She turned back to the webpage she was browsing. I'm still full from dinner, but I'll eat them later. She heard her mother give an audible sigh. All right, dear. As soon as the door was closed, Peridot picked up the plate and inhaled the aroma deeply. There was a hint of almond to the cookies, which meant one of two things, Neela had added almond extract, or she had laced them with cyanide. Peridot took the plate to her bathroom, slid the cookies into the toilet and flushed them down. Maybe there was nothing wrong with them at all, but she couldn't be too careful. She sighed and returned to her bedroom and set the empty plate down. She needed a way out of here, away from them, to never come back. Her phone rang and she picked it up, hardly glancing at the number. Hello. Peridot, it's Pearl. Pearl. It's got to be close to one in the morning there. What's wrong? It's Lapis. She was, she was hit by a car a few hours ago. Peridot's breath caught in her throat. Maybe they weren't together but that didn't mean she didn't care about her ex. Is she? She's alive, but she'll be in the hospital for a few days at least. They're operating on her leg. What? Was the idiot driver drunk? No, Lapis was. She stumbled into the road. You should come out here, I can pay for a plane ticket if. I can cover it. I'll have to check with work, but it shouldn't be a problem. Keep me updated, okay? Of course. Peridot clicked the red button to end the call and immediately reflected on her past with Lapis who had brought joy to the last two years of college. She wondered if they'd be married now if work hadn't forced them apart. She recalled walks around Main Street, parties, quiet nights studying, not so quiet nights making love. She remembered their last encounter and how Lapis, though pretty sloshed already, kept drinking from her flask. Peridot should have realized Lapis had a problem and now this had happened. The next morning, she went downstairs for breakfast, having gotten very little sleep. Amarila greeted her with a polite nod and Neela practically choked on her tea, but quickly regained her composure. Good morning, sweet girl. Amarila looked at her wife. I thought you said you were sure she'd sleep in this morning. She usually does. I need to ask you something, Mama, Peridot said, addressing Amarila. I got a call last night that a friend back home was in an accident. May I please go see her? take that extra vacation now, as soon as possible. Amarila eyed her and took a long drink of her coffee. I suppose. Is she going to be okay? I think so. She broke her leg pretty badly. I'll have your arrangements made by the end of the day. I'll get you a flight out tomorrow morning. Thank you, Mama. And, you will be returning? Neela asked. Of course. Not if she could help it. 
Peridot spent part of the day pulling out her small suitcase and filling it with her personal clothes that she kept in a box in the back of her closet. She laid out an outfit of jeans and a green polo shirt to wear on the plane the next day. She went over her last interaction with Lapis in her head for the millionth time. What would they say when they saw each other? There was a soft knock at the door and Neela entered. You have everything. Yes. You aren't really planning on returning, are you? I promised I'd finish out my contract. But you don't really want to, right? The truth? Peridot turned around and faced her. Not really. I want my freedom, to be myself, to be an adult. That's what I want. Haven't we made you happy? In some ways, but I can't pretend anymore. Neela wrapped her arms around Peridot. If you don't come back, we'll miss you. I'll be back. If you don't want this life, you shouldn't have to live it. Neela opened her hand letting the silk scarf she'd been concealing there unravel and in an instant it was around Peridot's neck squeezing tight. Peridot immediately tried pulling it away, but realized that despite her meek appearance, Neela was pretty strong. She felt like coughing but couldn't move any air. She reached up and dug her fingernails into Neela's wrist. Stop that, you little brat. I offered you an easier way out with the cookies, but you didn't take it. Peridot was starting to get dizzy and her grip on Neela's hand loosened. The scarf tightened around her neck, she had to do something, anything, to get out of this situation. She tried to get up, tried desperately to get away from the hold Neela had on her, but felt herself weaken. Her knees gave out under her causing her to collapse toward the floor, now only held up by the scarf. This is it, she thought. This is how I die. She would never see her family or friends again. Weakly she opened her eyes and saw her hairbrush sitting within reach waiting to go into her suitcase. She grabbed it and swung hitting Neela on the hand hard enough for her to let go. Peridot fell to the floor, gasping for air and tried getting up, but Neela was on her, hands around her neck. The look on her face was murderous and Peridot wondered what she had done to deserve this. The sound of the door banging against the wall startled both of them and in an instant Peridot found she could breathe again as Amarilla had pulled her wife away. What are you doing to her? Neela sank to her knees and started crying. This is your fault, you love her more, you always love them more. Amarilla closed her eyes and pinched the bridge of her nose as though she didn't know what to think or feel at this point. Go, I'll see you in a moment. Once her wife had left, Amarilla extended a hand to help Peridot off the floor. Are you okay? Peridot put a hand to her neck, which still ached but at least she could breathe. I, think so. Good. Wait here. With that, she left. She had to wait for hours, listening to yelling and crying and screaming coming from down the hall and figured their marriage was likely disintegrating, but hopefully that would not be her concern anymore. Things went quiet for about an hour, it was now dark outside. She hadn't had anything to eat since lunch and her stomach reminded her of this. Finally, Amarilla came back into the room and placed a few pieces of paper on the desk along with all of Peridot's personal identification, travel documents, and a SIM card. The reason I kept you inside the mansion at all times is because Neela told me Blanche was attacked while she was on a run. 
She claims her death was a mistake and she never meant for that to happen. She, however, got very jealous of Rosa and that was intentional. Neela is emotionally and mentally unstable, but I am going to get her help. She tried to kill me. And I would appreciate your discretion in this matter. If I have a prayer of saving my marriage, our reputation, I need your silence on this. I want out of my contract. As I figured. When you leave tomorrow we don't expect you to come back. I've transferred six months' salary to your bank account to help until you can find work. All your phone information is there on that card and Neela is restoring your Facebook as we speak. Peridot knew she should go to the police, to report what she knew, but she had known these women for almost two years. There was a part of her that was grateful for everything they'd given her and even a part of her that loved them on some level. She also knew because her job hadn't exactly been legal, she'd probably end up in major trouble too. She'd never seen Amarila look even remotely sad as she did now as though she were defeated and if she were by herself, maybe she'd be actually crying. There was a part of her that felt sorry for both of them. Promise me you'll never let this happen to another person again. It won't, we won't have another sugar baby. Then I won't say anything. I appreciate that. Goodbye, Peridot. Goodbye, Mrs. Diamante. Peridot didn't watch as Amarilla left and the door closed behind her. She exhaled a breath she felt she'd been holding in for the past two years and wondered what the heck she was going to do now. It would take nearly ten hours non-stop to drive from her home to further south on the coast to see Lapis. However, she had to figure in stopping for food, to use the restroom, to stretch and she'd have to be at the airport to pick up Peridot around noon. So, she slept all day the day before and left around midnight that evening. It felt a little weird that they'd all be together again, though the circumstances could be better. Once at the airport, she sat in baggage claim, looking through Facebook at the status her best friend had posted, goodbye Emerald City, last plane ride for a while. On my way home. And then Amethyst looked up to see that familiar short figure with blonde hair that didn't know how to behave. Ames. Perry. Amethyst ran to her and practically picked her up in a crushing hug. It's been so long. Yeah. There was moisture in Peridot's eyes, she wiped it away. Sorry, it's been a roller coaster of emotions lately. I bet. Lapis told me about your job last time I texted her. Peridot blushed. That's, that's over. I'm back, hopefully for good if I can find a job around here. What happened to your neck? It's a long story. Peridot identified her bag on the carousel and grabbed it. So, ready to see Lapis? How is she? Do you know? They headed out of the baggage claim area. Pearl says Lapis' leg was injured pretty badly, she'll need a long recovery and then probably physical therapy to walk again, but she'll never be able to do any kind of dancing, acting remains to be seen. Otherwise, she's got bumps, bruises, cuts, but should be released from the hospital soon. How drunk was she? Very and I think she's had a problem for a while. Speaking of, we should totally get some wine to celebrate getting back together again. I've had to do without for two years and I hear a glass of Moscato calling my name, Perry, 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 drink me. 
she placed her suitcase in Amethyst's trunk and got in the car with her friend. Since when do you drink wine? That's for like, actual adults. Before I got that job, my co-workers used to have wine tastings. Mozato is my favorite. If you want some, you should go for it. It's not fun drinking wine alone, we'll both have a glass. Amethyst slowly pulled out of the parking space and started driving forward toward the exit. I'm actually not drinking right now. Peridot raised an eyebrow. You, the eternal party girl. Since when? Since I got pregnant. What? How'd that happen? Never had that talk, huh? Haha, <laughs> you know what I mean. This just wasn't part of your plan, was it? Amethyst shrugged. It's a done deal now, so I'll have to make room for it in my plan. Silence settled between them for a few minutes before Peridot spoke. Aren't you nervous? You know, considering. No, I'm terrified, but I'm still going through with it. She noticed her friend looking at her belly. I'm only like ten weeks, I'm not showing yet. How big are your boobs going to get you? Oh wow, I hadn't even thought of that. I hope my baby likes jumbo sizes. Just don't lose it under one of them. They shared a laugh and continued talking until they reached the hospital, then went in and found Lapis' room. Peridot approached the bed and moved some hair away from Lapis' eyes, careful not to wake her. She had a pretty serious-looking scrape across almost half of her forehead and a deep bruise on her cheek. Her left leg was in a cast. Damn, Lapis, you don't mess around, do you? Dang, she looks worse than I thought, Amethyst said. Peridot took Lapis' hand in hers, noticing the other woman's knuckles were scratched as well. I'm sorry, Lapis, I should have been a better friend. Her ex opened her eyes slightly. Perry? How are you feeling? Need water. Peridot picked up the bottled water from a nearby table and put the straw to Lapis' lips, letting her drink her fill. Are you in pain? They have me on morphine. Good. Perry, I'm sorry. You're not a whore. She sighed, well, not anymore. Don't worry about it. We can talk about all that later. You need to focus on getting better. You'll stay with me. Of course. Amethyst and Peridot stayed for a few hours before a nurse told them they had to leave. Peridot gave Lapis a kiss on the forehead and squeezed her hand before they walked out of the room. Amethyst wondered if she should say anything as it was clear that there were still unspoken feelings between the two. However, she considered that both Peridot and Lapis had emotional and physical healing to do before even considering a relationship with anyone. Amethyst still wanted to ask about Peridot's injuries, but figured that conversation could wait until later, too. She drove them the short distance to Pearl's small house and stood to the side as Peridot reunited with her sister. I'm glad you're okay, Pearl, but what were you thinking? Pearl asked once they were in the house and the hugging was over. Peridot gave a heavy sigh. I don't know. I should have just come home. Well, you're safe now. Let's make some dinner, you look like you could use some meat on you. Pearl turned to Amethyst. And how are you doing? Good. Thank you for letting me stay here while I'm visiting. Of course. Soon enough, 
Amethyst was helping the sisters in the kitchen while they made pasta for dinner. Even though all she was doing was putting a salad together. It was weird, being in a house so neat and decorated like an actual adult lived there. She recalled what her mother had said about needing to get it together before the baby came. It was odd seeing someone she'd known growing up actually having their life figured out. Pearl, how do I drain the pasta? Peridot asked. You're joking, right? When it was obvious she was not, Pearl shook her head. The colander is in that cabinet there. What the heck is a colander? Pearl pinched the bridge of her nose. Why don't you just stand over by the stove and stir the sauce? Clockwise or counterclockwise? It doesn't matter. Mom was right, you really don't know anything about cooking. She said I focus too much on the science of it. Amethyst smiled, remembering how she was the cook in the family, though this didn't ever stop her sister from interjecting questions and comments. She could still hear Jasper's voice asking if it was absolutely necessary to add two sticks of butter and a whole container of sour cream to the mashed potatoes. Only if you want bomb-ass potatoes, Amethyst had replied before also stirring in cheese and bacon bits. Only if you want to die of a heart attack by the time you're thirty, her sister had told her. Your eating habits are really unhealthy, Ames. Amethyst had always figured that if she died, she'd rather go out eating something delicious, but as she tossed the salad in front of her together, she realized now it wasn't just about her nutrition, but she needed to think about what her baby required to grow and be healthy. She reflected on the fact that her baby also needed her around. Jasper had been in optimal shape and still had not made it to thirty, though her death was from unforeseen circumstances. Amethyst knew she was not even close to optimal, in fact, she couldn't remember the last time she worked out. How would it benefit her baby if she ended up sick or died early when she could prevent it? Within minutes, they were seated at the table eating pasta, Peridot and Pearl were sipping wine while Amethyst was stuck with a glass of water. Having made a solid decision about her pregnancy though, this didn't really bother her. But, sitting at a table having an actual meal with people who were not related to her made her feel a little strange as though she were actually breaking into the adulthood she should have been years into already. Pearl even had cloth napkins for heaven's sake and she reflected on how her mom had always told her to put it on her lap. Amethyst looked down, no morsel of food was going to make it to her lap past her boobs and her legs were so short they didn't touch the floor meaning that's where a napkin on her lap would usually end up anyway. It turned out that while it was a three-bedroom house, one room had been set up as an office, so Peridot and Amethyst went back and forth over who should have the guest room, but in the end, they both ended up deciding they'd rather sleep on the couches in the living room and catch up with each other. So, you're writing a book about your sister? Peridot asked. She did all the writing herself. I'm just going through and doing the editing, mostly removing names and places. I've sent inquiries to a few publishing companies to see if it's even worth pursuing. Anything juicy in her diaries? Amethyst laughed. Some, oh, she wrote in one of them where she hooked up with her friend Crazy Lace during wartime. Crazy Lace. Lacey, a girl. Peridot laughed. No way. Apparently they were both lonely and horny. But she seemed to think sex wasn't such an earth-shattering experience. Though, it appeared most of her partners simply hadn't known what they were doing. 
It's not exactly a Rubik's Cube down there, guys. Jasper had written in that entry. This is assuming they even know where to find what. This ended up being part of her reasons for the casual sex rules. Sadly, her most pleasurable experiences seemed to have been with Akram thus far, and those entries may not have been an accurate account of what had happened. Not even with her husband. I haven't gotten that far. Up to this point in her home, duty station, journal, he's returned from war and they've gone on quite a few dates and that's all. Their dates usually consisted of exercising, which I didn't know was a date activity, but they both liked it. I had just read an entry where she was excited she'd talked me into doing that ridiculous mud run with her when all this went down with Lapis and I haven't read any further. Oh my stars, I almost forgot about the mud run. Well, at least we got ice cream out of it. Amethyst had only agreed to put herself through that torture after Jasper bribed her with ice cream and agreed to let Peridot participate too. I lost my freaking glasses. Peridot laughed. Well, yeah because you got your foot stuck going through that muddy ass pond thing. And fell in, getting unstuck. And we had to get up at the butt crack of dawn for that shit. It had taken the two of them three hours and change to make it five kilometers through no fewer than twenty military-grade obstacles all the while keeping in mind they were being covered in mud that smelled like it might be mixed with something else brown. Sure, at the end, there was a hose-down station and they had brought a change of clothes, but it had still taken Amethyst over two hours to get clean once she got home. There was no effective way to clean her fingernails so she had to cut them short. Her major disappointment stemmed in thinking she'd have her sister by her side helping her, encouraging her, but Jasper had seemed interested in nothing but how fast and how well she could run the course. Amethyst had felt very numb after the whole experience, hardly tasting the ice cream that had finally enticed her to do this. When Peridot came over the next day, she'd seen her friend's light blonde hair was still a dingy brown despite her saying she'd washed it three times. It was then Amethyst had broken down crying. I'm legitimately traumatized, she'd sobbed. I don't see my sister for months at a time and I thought she wanted to do this together. Instead she took off ahead and when I finally saw her after the run she's laughing with her stupid boyfriend. Now, with Peridot on the other couch snoring lightly, Amethyst took out the journal she'd brought with her and read in the soft moonlight streaming in from the window. May 29th, there is nothing like a good obstacle course to give you an adrenaline rush, despite the fact I had mud in places mud was never meant to go. I'm glad Bismuth found the info on it, but after like three people broke bones doing it, I doubt they'll repeat it next year. Too bad, it was like a throwback to boot camp. It was awesome to prove I can do all this still and in a pretty good time, too. I finished third, first woman across the finish line though, time was 42.36. Bismuth came in fifth. I asked Amethyst later if she did the barbed wire challenge, crawling through a trench of mud beneath electric barbed wire. She tells me, oh you mean the supernope challenge, yeah, didn't do that. What? That was fun. It took her and her friend forever to finish despite them telling me they opted out of a lot of the obstacles. Did you carry the pink ammo cases or the regular ones? I asked. They both answered pink. And they were super heavy, Ames said. I laughed when I saw that upon getting to that particular challenge and they tried handing me the pink ones. Yeah, I don't think so, I said, 
grabbing two standard ammo cases much to the shock of the marine running that obstacle. I finished with a sense of accomplishment, I hope Ames feels the same. Though, she and her friend collapsed to the ground right after all that. If I ever think about joining up, please keep your promise and slap me, her friend said. Ames took a moment to catch her breath. They call my house all the time, my dad's like, there's a boy on the phone for you, and it's lieutenant something or other. Yeah, I think I'm all military D out. I buried my face in my hands and laughed so hard. My sister is on a trip, so funny, but I'm proud she saw it through to the end. She earned her ice cream. May 30th, mom called today to say Amethyst has a twisted ankle from one of the jumping obstacles. Whoops. Your sister is not like you, she's a delicate feminine flower. Mom yelled. Yeah, that doesn't describe Ames. She's a force to be reckoned with even if she doesn't know it yet. Also, I'm using that, the next time Bismuth dares say something I do isn't ladylike, I'm just going to turn and say, I'm a delicate feminine flower. I can't wait to see the look on his face. We're already planning to do more runs, with or without obstacles. He suggested starting to train for a marathon. There's a half marathon at the end of July that I agreed to sign up for. I guess we'll see how we do. Amethyst closed the journal. A force to be reckoned with, her sister had written. And she'd said she'd been proud of Amethyst for finishing the run. A little encouragement at that point may have helped, Jasps. What would you tell me now, about this situation? She imagined visiting her sister, who maybe would have two children at this point and telling her the news that she was expecting. She figured Jasper would be holding her own baby and say, you'll be just fine, Ames. How many people had said that to Jasper when she was expecting? The same number of people who had been proven wrong. Chapter 10, Joy and Sorrow Lapis was released from the hospital a week later and Pearl agreed to let her and Peridot stay at her house until they could find something more permanent. Although, how you'll do that with no job I'm not sure, Pearl said. I have some savings, Peridot told her. And it was true, she'd had very little to buy over her nearly two years with the Diamantes, plus the six-month salary Amarilla had recently given her. So, she actually had quite a bit of money she could use to rent an apartment somewhere in town for a while if she was smart about spending. Lapis told them she had been saving some money but she had also spent more than she cared to admit on booze. Actually, being around people softened the ache of loneliness, but she still thought about vodka nearly all the time, aching for that haze to take away the gnawing feeling that she was alone. I really messed up, she said to Peridot one day as they sat together eating breakfast. We both did. I've actually scheduled a counseling appointment for later this week, I have some things to work through and I know therapy helps. She likely would not need as many sessions as she did in college when she was depressed and suicidal. Her eyes focused on the semicolon tattoo on her wrist, no, she was nowhere near that. However, nearly being killed and being in a relationship, no, actually being used, by the Diamantes had definitely left its mark. Have you thought about it? You know, counseling. I think I may need more than just that. I've looked into some programs that help with, over-drinking. I believe the word you're looking for is, alcoholism, lapis. Yeah, that. Once my leg is better, I'll probably check myself in at one of those places. 
sounds like a good idea. Peridot finished up a quick text to Amethyst who had left a few days prior to head home, but promised to visit during the summer. Later on, she scoured the internet for any kind of tech jobs nearby but the best she could find was a computer parts store looking for part-time work. It was something, she supposed, so she set up an interview. Flipping through the papers Amarilla had given her, she focused on a glowing letter of recommendation she'd written for Peridot. It felt fake to use it as she'd never actually worked for the company and Amarilla had no idea if Peridot was as good with tetchy stuff as she claimed to be. However, she really couldn't look for anything too permanent until she was sure if she was even staying and she had to consider Lapis who would need help for at least the next five weeks while she healed. Then there was the matter of going to see her parents at some point. She and Pearl had agreed not to divulge certain details of Peridot's life for the past two years. As far as they knew, she'd missed being so far from home and she wasn't happy with her job, so she'd decided to move back and find something on the East Coast. That was one perk of being an adult, her parents did not need to know about everything. So, at the interview later that week, she was told she was overqualified for the job but it was hers if she wanted it. It was actually a great job because she mostly worked in the back fixing computers. Her hours were set around Pearl's schedule at the kids' center so one of them could be with Lapis if she needed help. It was not the life she thought she'd have, but it was better than the one she left behind. There was one encouraging email in her inbox from a publishing company in Empire City saying the samples she sent sounded interesting and they'd like to meet with her once she got through typing up the journal entries. So, after work most nights, she sat at her computer typing out journal entries. Some she skipped, particularly ones that sounded repetitive or too whiny, mostly from the first two journals, but she kept the important ones that she felt reflected her sister's struggles as well as her triumphs mostly in the military, but in life as well. Ames, it's not good for you to be up so late, her mother said. You need your rest. It's not doing you or your baby any favors to run yourself ragged. I'll be in bed soon. As soon as her mom was gone, she opened the journal she'd been reading for quite a while now. She figured maybe she should just take a break from typing everything up and get through the rest of this journal and the next one. She got into bed and started reading the next entry. September 14th, I do not know why I didn't do this sooner. Both the marathon yesterday and what happened after were pretty good. The training bismuth and I put ourselves through paid off and we both finished in less than 5 hours, which is pretty good considering it was 26 miles. I was exhausted by the end of it, but felt a definite sense of accomplishment. It's odd to think this time last year I was in the hospital with a broken leg and now I think I'm in the best shape of my life. All that mess is behind me now anyway and I don't really think much about it, it was just another in a long line of WTFs in my life I've had to deal with. You should come over tonight, Bismuth told me. I'll make us dinner. He knows he can tempt me with food, so I told him it was a date. Now I could go on and on about the amazing steak he made, because he's a great cook whereas when God was handing out culinary skills, I was clearly going back for more height, muscles, or getting like thirds in the boob line, but that wasn't the highlight of the evening. It was later as we were on the couch making out and his hands had found their way into my orange tank top as they usually did ever since a month ago when I decided it was okay. He is one of the most understanding guys out there and knowing my past, he lets me set the pace with anything sexual. 
I have also let him know due to the reconstructive surgery I'd needed in certain areas the doctor told me my first time post-surgery was going to feel much like my first time ever, so that was nothing to look forward to. So, he understood very well my nervousness and my reluctance to just jump into it, but I let him know I was finally ready to take that next step with him. First of all, it is not often that one gets a second chance to offer their virginity to another person. My very first time was in a car with my track coach after homecoming, and I know if my mom ever knew this, she'd be like, oh my god. But no, it wasn't like that, I was 100% into it. He was about 26 or so and I lied and said I was 18 despite the fact that I wouldn't be for another two weeks. He practically freaked when he saw the blood. I told him I didn't believe in virginity, I said it was an invention of the patriarchy meant to make women believe their worth was between their legs. And, please, if I ever utter the words, the patriarchy, again someone will shoot me. Looking back, I really wished I would have waited especially when I hear sweet stories of women having the perfect first experience. There were a few short-term relationships, usually the sex was pretty good. Then, of course, I became a bit of a slut necessitating rules so that only certain people would get the full experience, and that ended disastrously and I never wanted to think about sex again. Then bismuth came along and I thought, this might be it, this might be the next one I give myself to. And Akram, God, I can't believe I thought I had feelings for him. What a rapist asshole. However, it was his final act that made it so the doctors had to operate, they said they weren't sure of my status beforehand so they opted for anatomical correctness and gave me everything back, physically anyway, obviously I still had those experiences. I am no longer the feminist I thought I was back then, I'm more of an equalist if I had to label it and I'm not sure I like labels, and after all this has happened, I realized that whoever I decided would get my virginity again would have to really be special to me. All that being said, I have never had an experience like I did last night. I get goosebumps just thinking about it and I want to do it all over again. Yes, it hurt at first, I was expecting that, but what I did not expect was how close it made me feel to him. I'm not a holder, that is with most of my sexual partners, I do not pull them close, rather I usually keep my hands off. But I wanted him close to me. I wrapped my arms around him and held on tightly. The amount of emotion attached to this act was overwhelming to the point where I felt, and this sounds corny enough in my head, but I felt us becoming one-minded as though we were one entirely new being while still being the two of us. And if I could have merged bodies with him somehow, heck, would have done it, I guess we sort of were, actually. And all this emotion only heightened the physical pleasure we both felt. Afterwards, he rested his forehead against mine, both of us catching our breath and he kissed me softly telling me for the first time that he loves me. That's when I realized, that was the key to this amazing experience, the previous times with other people had been just sex, this was so much more than that. This was making love. I opened my eyes and looked into his eyes, whispering that I loved him too. It was wonderful and beautiful and scary and deliciously amazing, and healing. I stayed the night at his place. This morning was also pretty earth-shaking. Amethyst smiled at the entry, and was rather thankful her sister hadn't been too descriptive, but she was honestly glad to read a positive passage about her sex life. She wondered if she would ever experience anything like that. October 30th, he accepts me as I am. My scars, my stripes, all my, 
perfect imperfections, he says, pretty sure he got that from a song. I don't know what I did to deserve such a great guy but I hope I keep doing it because I never want to lose him. I've never felt this way about anyone before. With most everyone else in my life, I'll spend time with them, say goodbye and be glad to have time to myself. But I can be with him all day and after we kiss goodnight, I can't wait to see him again. We talked about children in the future, possibly. I didn't even know we were at that point in our relationship, but he asked what I thought about having them. I told him the truth, I'm up for the adventure if my body will cooperate. He asked if my body does not, would I be opposed to adoption? I am not, I could love any child, but I do want to try for our own, when the time is right. I wonder if our careers will ever be. We should probably be married first. November 5th, Bismuth asked me to move into his house with him. It's a step in the right direction anyway. It's a small place and needs a little work, but we can make it our own. He inherited it from his grandmother, so at least it's paid for. I'm mostly excited about celebrating our first Christmas here. We're not putting up a tree until December, he told me. Absolutely, I agreed. November 28th, we were just going to look at trees and decorations. We may have a Christmas tree up a little before December. What can I say, we're happy. December 25th, we both woke up about 4.30 this morning and were unable to get back to sleep. When do you want to open presents? Bismuth asked. I told him, we're grown adults on our own, we can open them whenever we want. So, of course, we were opening gifts by 5 a.m. Never thought I'd be excited about things for the kitchen, but he got me a juicer and I was like, hell yeah. Then the brat that he is hands me this huge box and I can immediately tell what's going on because it's super light, so I open it and of course it's a box inside of another box and there's like six boxes and each time I'm like, you motherfucker. And Bismuth is just right there watching me, grinning like a buffoon as I make my way through all these boxes thinking, I swear if this is something stupid like a pair of socks. But, when I unwrapped it all, there was an ornament in the bottom of, a box. Literally an ornament of a wrapped Christmas box, with a latch and everything so it could actually open, that I had to go through six boxes to even see. And on the front in nice gold letters it read, Cordero. I opened it, then quickly closed it, my heart fluttering at what I'd just seen. What's this? I asked. My last name, I thought maybe we could share it. And that's when he took the box from me and got on one knee and opened it revealing a diamond ring. Now, as a woman, I have thought about this potential moment in my life more than once and never did it involve me sitting on the floor Christmas morning wearing my nightshirt and panties with my hair all messy from sleep, surrounded by, once again, six boxes worth of fucking wrapping paper. And he asked me and I said yes. Then we made love right there on top of all the wrapping paper. Gotta say, it was fun later on at home showing off my ring. Dad already knew this was happening because apparently Bismuth actually asked his permission. I told him you were an adult and that was no man's decision to make for you, but I'm glad you said yes, Dad told me. You deserve someone who makes you happy and he's a good guy. Mom was shocked, but happy, after years of her basically telling me I was not going to get a man, no one wants a girl with muscles bigger than him slash with such uneven skin, translation, wear makeup, slash who doesn't know how to cook slash swears too much, etc.
She gives Ames shit too as if getting married should be our ultimate goal, so it came as no surprise as we were eating Christmas dinner she said something about my sister eating too much. No man will want a girl too heavy. I know what she says comes from some place of caring where she just wants what she thinks is best for us. I don't know how Amethyst feels, she seems pretty confident, but I know mom's constant criticism did nothing for my self-esteem growing up, especially when it came to her complaining about things I couldn't control like my height or my vitiligo. I hope I don't come off as too mean to Ames about her eating habits, but I just want her to be healthy, my concern has nothing to do with her meeting a guy or not. I want to tell her that the right one will come along when she least expects it and will love her for all that she is, and seriously, she's awesome, what's not to love? Amethyst felt a twinge of sadness and a little annoyance at reading that. You couldn't have said anything, to me, to mom, when you were alive. However, she knew this was one reason her sister journaled, she was not good at expressing herself. Jasper was a mystery wrapped in an enigma, no one often knew what she was thinking when those gold-brown eyes stared off into space and she seemed to be in another place where no one could reach her. She could have been pondering the mysteries of the universe or wondering how many donut holes she could fit in her mouth at one time. So, of course she wouldn't have spoken up, her expressions usually manifested themselves as anger or annoyance, so she knew if she did say something it likely would have been taken the wrong way. January 15th, Bismuth's parents came to visit for a week so I finally got to meet them. I don't think his mom likes me very much. She squinted her eyes and looked me up and down before finally saying in a southern drawl, well, don't you look, healthy. I wasn't exactly sure how to take that, but I think it's because she doesn't think I'm demure and feminine or pretty at all. His dad, however, didn't seem to mind when he gave me a big hug and then punched my shoulder saying, it's about time Beezy got himself a woman who can keep him in line. What are you? Polynesian, right? I laughed and plainly told him I was proudly American while my fiancé looked embarrassed about this nickname. We went back to the house where his mother had more complaints especially when she realized I don't cook, at least not very well. That's no good, Jasper, you know the best way to a man's heart is through his stomach. I glanced over at the case on our shelf displaying the knife I'd killed Akram with. Actually, in my experience, it's through the fourth and fifth rib. She wasn't impressed with my humor and she wasn't happy to see Bismuth and I shared a bed. It's bad enough you two live together, Bismuth, but honestly. She heaved a heavy sigh, you should be married before you do certain things. You wouldn't want to end up in a family way outside of wedlock. Bismuth took my left hand and held it up, we'll be married soon enough. His mom looked at the ring and I could tell she was considering my less than ladle-like hands as she clicked her tongue in disapproval. What's your ring size, Jasper, 10? Also, is Jasper your real name or a nickname? Not that I owed her any explanation but I simply told her my parents both thought I would be a boy and they hadn't picked out a girl name. When you two have kids, you want to think about names carefully. Masculine names for a girl will lead to masculine traits and behavior, she said. I want to deck this bitch. January 17th, I can't wait for Mama Cordero to go home. She insisted on teaching me to cook chili and cornbread, Beezy's favorite. I took off my sweater so I wouldn't mess it up and since I was only wearing a tank top under it, she saw my tattoo and took her disapproval. A tattoo, really? Nice young ladies don't have tattoos.
It's a traditional Samoan warrior tattoo, it's an important status symbol in our culture, I explained. She gave me a smug look and said, I thought you were American. The chili and cornbread didn't turn out too badly, though she wouldn't know that because I stirred a bunch of cayenne pepper into her bowl before I placed it on the table. She insisted I say grace before we ate and I said the traditional prayer my mother always recited before dinner. Are you planning to raise your children Catholic or Baptist? she asked, noticing I'd crossed myself. Bismuth and I looked at each other as this is something we honestly hadn't discussed since neither one of us really go to church. I felt like telling her we would raise them to be devil worshippers. Well, whatever the mother is, traditionally the children follow, his father said. Great chili, Jasper. His mother coughed after swallowing and downed half of her water before taking a bite of cornbread. How much spice did you add? I told her I made the chili like God made me, a little bit of sugar and whole lot of spice and that if she couldn't handle the heat perhaps she should stay out of my kitchen. She gave me a sweet smile and drawled, well, bless your heart. Bismuth later explained that in the South this was not an endearing phrase. She basically told me to go fuck myself. And I thought my mom was a piece of work. At least my family is loving and welcoming to Bismuth. I'm glad his dad likes me, but I wonder if this will be my relationship with his mom for the rest of our lives. January 18th, today, I made his parents breakfast. Okay, so I called Ames for some pointers on what to do, she said there was no way I could possibly fuck up pancakes. Yay, burned the first four and the smoke detector went off waking up Bismuth and his parents. His mother shook her head, not exactly a traditional woman, are you? I was about to tell her the last person who tried to force me into that mold ended up dead, but as if to rub it in that I couldn't cook, one of the pancakes decided to burst into flames and I hit it with the spatula to put it out. Correction, today, Bismuth took us all out to breakfast. I ordered something healthy, but the eggs must have been cooked in some kind of grease or something because I felt weird the rest of the morning. January 19th, this morning she had the nerve to say, Bismuth, she's not at all what I had hoped for in a wife for you. He laughed, what do you mean? She tells me all the time she's a delicate feminine flower. I just don't know what you see in her. Well, he replied. It's partly the way she makes me feel happier than I've ever been and how she brings more light to my life than I thought possible, though it could also be the way she handles a grenade launcher in battle. And does she plan on staying in even after you're married? After you have kids? He told her we both plan on that and it would be unfair of anyone to expect me to quit the army just because I'm a woman. We both went on a run after breakfast to work out some steam. I ended up getting sick halfway through, still finished it though, and reminded Bismuth we need to exercise before we eat. January 20th, I had to get out of the house this morning. That bitch had the nerve to ask Bismuth if I'd always been a woman. What the fuck? That was pretty much my fiancé's reaction too and he finally told his mom to stop and show me some respect. I told her plainly that if I ever wasn't, then getting pregnant was a goddamn miracle. I couldn't help it, the words were out of my mouth before I could stop them, which only gave her more reason to hate me. His mother just shook her head and said, You are a godless person, Jasper. You need to think about how you're living your life. Dare I ask where your child is? Or is it, children? Do they live with their father? Fathers? 
or did you, take care of it? My stomach clenched and I felt like losing my breakfast right then and there as old wounds opened. I hate thinking about the babies. Bismuth put a hand on my shoulder and told her that was enough. It didn't matter, I grabbed my keys and left and went to Lacey's where I vented to her. When I was done, she simply poured me a shot of whiskey. Wow, I thought my mother-in-law was mean. You clearly need a drink. Just remember Bismuth loves you no matter what. I'm joining his family and his mom hates me, I told her. She has no idea what I've been through, she just speaks without thinking. I tried drinking the whiskey but the smell was strong and off-putting, so I set it down. It actually makes me sick to my stomach. I can't drink that. You want it? Can't, she said simply. Rubius just got off breastfeeding and now I'm expecting, again. It's been forever since I've had a good drink. I admit, I'm a little jealous of her. God forbid Mama Cordero ever finds out I might not be able to have kids again, then I'd really be on her shit list. I drank the offending whiskey anyway and it only took a few minutes before I had to race to Lacey's bathroom because my stomach was still in knots and rebelled. January 21st, Bismuth and I had a long talk last night about his mom's behavior toward me. They're your family and she doesn't like me, I said. He sighed and explained, she's incredibly traditional and believes a woman joins her husband's family, takes his name, gives that name to their children and she had certain expectations of her new daughter. I just never thought she'd be so cruel about it. My own mom is always on my case. I can't have that from two sides. Did you, did you tell her, anything? What? About your past? No, that's yours to tell if you want. All I did let her know is maybe there are things she's not considering and that she should get to know you better so she can see all the good things I see in you. Today is Sunday, so she insisted we go to church, a Baptist church, and she was appalled that I had no dresses to wear. What do you normally wear on a Sunday? You know, when you go to, service. I told her I wear exactly what I was wearing then, nice pants and a sweater. I didn't mention that I don't attend every Sunday and definitely not that I only go twice a year. I didn't mention that I'm not sure Bismuth and I will make our kids go because I'd like them to make up their own minds. An hour is a long time to ask a kid to sit through church no matter the denomination, I remember being bored out of my mind sitting through Mass on Sundays. Mom always gave me gum to keep me quiet and for some reason it was spearmint. I can't stand spearmint anything to this day. Heck, I still got restless sitting through service, I thought about my childhood, the spearmint gum and felt queasy all over again. His mom's perfume didn't help anything and on the way home I took deep breaths until I could finally make it to the bathroom and puke. You've gotta do something about that nervous stomach, girl, his father said. His mother simply eyed me suspiciously. I wanted to tell her it's her fault I've been feeling this way. Later on, I saw her standing in front of the shelf, looking at the knife in its case. Jasper, what is this? Is it Arabian? Yeah, it's called a jambia. The handle and sheath are very ornate. Did you buy it when you were over there? No. I lifted the case and took it out, turning it in my hands. It had been a long time since I'd studied it or thought about why it was displayed. I was held prisoner over there for two months, my captor used this knife to scare me, keep me in line. 
I used to be very afraid of it, and of him. He threatened me with it and made me do what he wanted, every night. I put emphasis on the last part. He got me pregnant and then assaulted me so badly I lost the baby and almost died myself. In the end, I used this to kill him. I keep it to remind myself of everything I've survived so far, to remind myself that I am stronger than any terror this world subjects me to. Strength isn't everything. Well, it's a quality your son likes in me. I placed the knife back in its holder and slid the case over it. This man tried to mold me into the ideal woman, tried to make me forget who I was. Part of the reason I keep it is to remind myself that I will not fit into anyone else's mold. I might not be your idea of a perfect woman, but Bismuth loves me and I love him and I would hope that above all, you just want him to be happy. We are happy together. She took a deep breath and nodded. Just promise me you'll have this locked up before you have your baby. She pointed to the guns mounted on the wall. Those two. I'm not pregnant. She simply smiled at me before walking away. January 22nd, his mom gave me a wrapped gift before she and his dad headed to the airport. I'll miss his dad, I suppose I've made some kind of peace with his mom, but part of me would still like to tell her she can go, bless her heart. Especially after I opened the gift and it was a boxed pregnancy test. Really, bitch. I tossed it in the bathroom cabinet. Could you be? Bismuth asked. I told him it was unlikely. He told me then his mom seems really in tune with these types of things and has rarely been wrong. I still don't have the nerve to take the test. I just keep remembering what the doctor told me and I really don't want to lose another baby or put my own life in danger. But if I am, then at least I conceived this one with the person I love more than anything in the world and it would prove my body isn't damaged beyond repair. I don't know what I'm dreading more, a negative or positive result. February 21st, mom took me wedding dress shopping, just to look, but I don't think a wedding dress is for me. Dresses aren't for me, I don't think I've worn one since prom, the abaya does not count. First of all, formal dress sizes are like two sizes smaller than regular sizes, so that's discouraging but if you're not a specific body type, these dresses don't ever look good. And white has never been my color. So many of the dresses are strapless meaning I'd need some kind of corset, which I refuse to wear. My mom was looking at veils, which I also refuse to wear, sorry, mom, it just brings back memories of being held prisoner. We could put some flowers in your hair. I'm not a flowery person. When I got home later this afternoon, I vented some of my frustrations to Bismuth, especially the way my mom was talking about how to cover up my tattoo and the stripes on my arms. I like your tattoo, and your stripes, he said. It gives you character. I don't want to wear a dress at all. I don't look good in dresses. You never did strike me as the princess bride type. Honestly, I kind of assumed you'd wear your dress uniform. I raised an eyebrow realizing this was not a bad idea at all. Despite not liking dresses and skirts, I look pretty damn good in my uniform and he's planning to wear his. We talked more and decided we really didn't want the fancy wedding my mom assumes we're having at some point late this year or next year. I just want to be your wife, I said. That's all. I don't need a princess dress or a big, white wedding. I don't need the stress or the complication of all that. I just need you. 
So, we narrowed down a date in early April, Amethyst will be home from college on spring break, to go to the courthouse and have a simple ceremony. March 5th, Mom tried to talk me out of the courthouse idea because she has all these plans, but I simply reminded her that this is my wedding. Maybe Amethyst will let her go crazy with planning when it's her turn. Don't you want your marriage blessed by a priest? I told her we are going with a non-denominational service and a justice of the peace will officiate. Oh, at least pick out a dress, she insisted. Your uniform is a dark color. I told her I look better in dark colors and my uniform is actually flattering on me and it's not like I'm a virgin bride anyway. She gave an exasperated sigh, is there some pressing reason you need to do this so quickly? And at the courthouse. I tried to hide it, I did, I didn't even write it down anywhere in case it didn't pan out, but I'm sure my face said it all. No, we didn't exactly plan this, but we're getting married and I guess that was good enough for mom because I could see excitement in her eyes. I shut that down right away saying, we are not jinxing this. But, you have to be so excited, she said. I'll be excited when I know everything's okay. April 3rd, the skirt on my uniform is a bit tight, but once the suit jacket is over it no one will be able to tell. Thankfully I am feeling better and for good reason, we are now 13 weeks in. I suppose I can let myself get a little excited, this is the first time I've carried a life created with love. We're pretty sure it happened on Christmas, or around that time. What's even more exciting is that today is the day. Amethyst will be my witness and Bismuth is having a friend stand with him. And, of course both sets of parents will be there. I honestly thought I'd be nervous, but I'm not, I'm so happy and feel like nothing can bring down my smile today. Also April 3rd to April 4th, technically, Bismuth is sleeping, I wore him out, heh <laughs> heh. In the morning we'll leave to drive south to go to beaches and relax on an extended weekend honeymoon. I suppose this is the last time I'll be in a bathing suit for a while. You packed a really skimpy bikini, right? he asked. Yeah, cause I'll be caught dead wearing anything ending in, bikini. no, it's a red one piece, but despite the fact that my stomach is rounding out a bit, I still look damn sexy in it. But, of course, I want to write about the wedding. Amethyst helped me get ready, well, as much as she could. She's like mom in that respect, let's have your hair down with flowers. I told her I can't, my hair has to be pinned back when in uniform, no decorations, which is kind of actually a shame now that it's to my mid-back again. Can you wear makeup? she asked. I told her yes, I could, but no red lipstick. Not that I ever do wear it, but she got to work outlining my eyes and spreading on eyeshadow. This is going to really bring out the gold color. I refused foundation because I will not cover what I don't consider a deformity, but she used some kind of powder to contour my cheeks making my face look much more feminine and then handed me a cocoa brown lipstick to wear. You look pretty, Ames said before I looked in the mirror and realized she was right. She asked if I could wear nail polish, I told her my hands weren't nearly ladle-like enough for that, but yes, so long as it was a neutral color, not sparkly purple like hers. She filed my nails to an oval shape and covered them with a tan polish. It's amazing what just that did to make my hands look more feminine and how natural the polish looked considering one hand is tan and the other white. Obviously, I can't make myself look pretty in combat, but maybe when I'm doing other work in my dress uniform, I could make it a point to be a little fancy. 
Thank you, Ames. Hey, what are sisters for? I'm not much for hugging, but I hugged my run of a sister anyway. Clearly her efforts were worth it if the look on Bismuth's face when he saw me at the courthouse was any indication. All he could say at first was, wow. And I realized this was the first time he'd ever seen me with makeup on. My dad kissed me on the cheek and gave my hand to Bismuth. When I was 18 or 19, I probably would have called this an archaic ritual of the patriarchy. Today, I thought it was rather sweet. I guess my time as an invisible object taught me that we really don't have it so bad here. I could have been forced to marry Akram at one point, but here in my country, I am free to marry whomever I choose, whomever I love. It was your typical ceremony, really, but as I repeated the vows promising to be with him, to love, cherish and respect him, through the good and the bad, in any economic situation, any medical situation, all I could think of was how much I love him and when I saw he was tearing up, I couldn't help moisture springing to my eyes either. I think this may be the first time I've ever cried from joy. Okay, it wasn't really, crying, just tearing up. After we had exchanged rings and the first kiss of our married life, Bismuth slipped the name tag from my uniform and replaced it with one of his own. He put a finger to his lips and he winked at me. Technically I should wear my old name tag until my name is legally changed. Sometimes it's exciting breaking the rules. I'll start the process of changing it next week. I find it amusing how when I was younger, I always said I'd never take my husband's name, but now that I'm older and more mature and my ideals better defined, I feel blessed to be Jasper Cordero. April 14th when they talked of walking through sorrows together I didn't know it would be so damn soon. I knew I was stupid for letting myself get excited. We really wanted the baby, too. April 16th, I suppose we never really will know what happened. It was supposed to be a routine ultrasound and I knew something was immediately wrong because I didn't see anything moving. His heart just stopped beating at some point. They told me I'd have to deliver, so I was induced and he was born after a brief labor. The physical pain was nothing compared to holding him in my hand and studying his perfect features. He was so tiny. I thought I'd be disgusted, but it didn't matter that he was red or that his eyes were fused, he was still our baby. There seemed to be nothing wrong with him and I figure it must have been my fault. I'm just not meant to have kids, I guess. They asked us for a name, but we hadn't even discussed that, so we gave him Bismuth's middle name, Michael, like the angel. I know I'll see my little angel again someday, but right now the pain is so crushing I can't even cry. April 22nd, we decided against a funeral, instead, we had Michael cremated and scattered the ashes at a lake we pass when we run outside. I said a short prayer asking God to protect and care for him until one of us can be with him again. A sympathy card arrived in the mail from his parents and I expected some scathing remarks from his mom but she actually addressed a letter to only me in which she expressed her sorrow and told me she'd had two miscarriages, so she can relate to the pain of losing Michael so early. She said it's never easy and you never forget them. She said she'll pray for us and that someday, we'll have our rainbow baby. Still can't cry. May 15th, Bismuth spends a lot of time in the garage working on projects and I never really pay attention to what he's doing, so I usually ignore it when I go in there and see something covered with a sheet. Today though, he asked me to get him a tool and as I reached for it, I noticed something rather large covered up.
I got him what he'd asked for, then uncovered his project. Jasps, don't. It was a crib he'd been making for our baby. Usually he works with metal, but this was wood. It was unpainted, unfinished, but recognizable. I realized it was Mother's Day. I felt my stomach clench. I finally cried, sobbed for a good hour while he held me. We both wanted that baby, we still want one and I'm so afraid I can't give him that. Amethyst, of course, knew this is how it would end. Ali hadn't been born until the following year. She hadn't even known her sister had been pregnant when she got married. Amethyst put a hand to her own stomach. She was 13 weeks now and hadn't known it could happen that late. She took a deep breath and exhaled. She probably should start living a little healthier and taking good care of herself. Starting with a good night's sleep, right after finishing this journal as she found either Jasper was busy or had lost her interest in writing based on the short entries in the summer and fall of that year. December 16th, I am running out of pages and I guess it's for the best. This journal has been a chronicle of my escape from the turmoil overseas. Yesterday, Bismuth suggested we try to expand our family again and I agreed we should. Today I found out the army has other plans, I go back to the beginning of January for another year and a half. I swear this is like that book I read where these kids battle to the death and I just imagine them pulling our names out of some bowl somewhere. Sergeant Cordero. Which one? Jasper. Fuck. When I told Bismuth today, he rested his forehead on mine. We knew this was coming, didn't we? I agreed, it had been a nice break being home for so long. I bet they send him just as I get back. My last two deployments did not go well, did not end well. I'm scared as all hell, but I know this is the deal I signed, the agreement we both made before we made any commitment to each other. Our duty to our country has to win out before our duty to even each other. I plan to hide these journals at my parents' house when I go there at Christmas so I can come back to them at some point in the future. However, we allowed ourselves the opportunity to take our minds off the future and just be with each other. I let him kiss my nervousness away and hold on to me letting me feel only his love for me for a few precious hours. Chapter 11, Life and Death She needed to get through the last journal and quickly, she'd set up a meeting with the publishing company next month. Amethyst actually called out sick from work to have a few days to type everything up. February 14th, Bismuth and I aren't much into Valentine's Day, but it's one of those times I miss him. We were able to talk on video chat briefly and I told him how much I love him, but it's not the same. I miss the bed we share together, yeah, I even miss his snoring, the kisses we give each other before leaving the house and upon coming home, the stupid inside jokes we have, the way my fingers intertwined perfectly with his. February 23rd, this was clearly so much easier 10 years ago. It's actually been pretty quiet, but I feel tired all the time and get worn out quickly. I'm careful to conceal this, especially around the men, can't let them think I'm weak or anything. I definitely don't want my commanding officer to know, he's one of those older guys who obviously think women have no place here. March 2nd, went into the medical center on base to have blood drawn. They say it could be an iron deficiency, but I'll know more in a few days. March 4th, the fighting has picked up again. Still don't know what's going on with my fatigue, so I go into combat. 
I got butterflies this time. March 6th, I remember telling myself I was a fucking idiot before, but now I feel really stupid and I'm still trying to process this info. So, I think it must have happened shortly before I deployed. If only I'd known before being in active combat, getting shot, thank God for those protective vests, I might have a bruise the size of Texas, but I'm not dead, and being thrown when a bomb went off nearby. I was able to get up and continue, but as soon as I got back, my command insisted I go to the medic to get checked out. They had the results of my blood test. I'm pregnant. Of course, I can no longer serve in combat for the time being. The good news is I get to go home. Also, my commanding officer had the nerve to ask me if this happened here or before I left. Jerk. March 15th, I think Bismuth and I were both floored at my doctor's appointment and my inner soldier called me a fucking idiot again, I need to shut her up. He estimated I'm at 19 weeks, 19. The butterflies I've been feeling was the baby moving. I asked how in the world my clothes still fit and why I had virtually no symptoms other than being exhausted. He says I'm carrying more toward my back, though this is likely to change and soon, and that each pregnancy is different. My periods have been irregular ever since I had surgery, so it's impossible to know exactly when I conceived, but his best guess is mid-late November. He asked if I was sure I wanted to go through with it. I told him it seems a little late now if I wanted to change my mind, which obviously I don't. Then he reminded me of what was told to me after surgery, that pregnancy could be dangerous for both myself and the baby. I told him I understood. I don't think you do, he said. We can make sure you survive if you terminate. Normally we wouldn't at this stage, but if the mother's life is in danger, we can make an exception. It took every ounce of strength not to lose it on him. I can feel my baby move, I saw her heartbeat, I am not killing her. I will carry her and bring her into this world even if it means losing my own life and from what he's saying that's not even guaranteed to happen. They didn't think it would be possible for me to get pregnant and here we are, so who's to say I can't do this? I told Bismuth in the car later that I wanted a second opinion. I'm done with male military doctors, I want a civilian doctor, someone female. With everything being said, I completely forgot to ask if it was a boy or girl. March 23rd, much more encouraging news at this doctor's visit. My new OB seems understanding, but then she's been through this herself. She said I'm probably one of the healthiest patients she's ever had and she sees no red flags whatsoever that either myself or the baby is in any danger even with my history. She says sometimes scar tissue can be a problem but if they notice any distress during delivery, they can go to a C-section quickly, not my ideal way to deliver, but if it's necessary, of course I'll do it. However, she says I need to eat more and exercise less. Cardio is fine, no weight lifting. I asked about the baby's gender and Bismuth wanted to be surprised. How can I be prepared if I don't know for sure? I mean, I'm pretty confident it's a girl because with Michael I had really bad morning sickness but nothing with this one. I'm not sure there's any science behind this, but I've heard it can be an indicator. March 24th, painted the nursery today, pink, much to Bismuth's dismay. Okay, I painted like half the nursery before he caught me and demanded I let him finish. First of all, you were on a step stool, you could have fallen, second, 
you know how many chemicals are in the paint. I was wearing a mask and being careful. Anyway, he's finishing it, muttering how dumb it's going to look if we have a boy. This is the first discussion we've had in a while. Amethyst laughed at the use of the word discussion, which meant not quite a fight, but not exactly a civil conversation either. Although, she knew Jasper and her husband had gotten along quite well. In fact, her sister had once mentioned that in their dating and married life they'd only had two full-blown fights. In those two instances, Jasper had said they settled at first like warriors, sparring to work out their aggression, Amethyst was pretty sure this was a very unhealthy way to solve things, but it was also a very Jasper way to solve things, then sitting down to talk about it while they nursed their wounds, did you have to flip me over so hard, Jasps. Geez, forward slash, hey, if you're going to take this bull by the horns you best be ready for a ride, and finally having great makeup sex. Okay, I don't need to know anymore, Amethyst had said while her sister laughed. April 3rd, worst wife ever, forgot our anniversary. Best wife ever, he doesn't know because I pretended like I totally planned a romantic dinner for us even though the most romantic thing I can cook is spaghetti and I actually made it because I was craving it. Best husband ever, I'm sure he knows, but didn't say anything, and I'm pretty sure he forgot too because I know he bought those flowers at the supermarket on the way home. Best time ever, laying on the floor talking while he rubs my ever-expanding belly and still tells me how beautiful he thinks I am. April 6th, definitely carrying more to the front now. I get one of two looks at work, either, why didn't you get out when you could, or, good on you, girl. Finally, I have to wear the maternity uniform. Most of the women who are older than me have kids and have told me this is normal. It's not easy being both a pregnant woman and a soldier, but they said that's where they find out who is strong because it takes something very special to stay in and be a parent. They said, mother, actually, but I'm not going to pretend things won't be difficult for Bismuth too when he has to be away from his family because duty comes first. Plus, he seems like he will be 100% in on taking care of our kid. May 5th, baby does not like spicy food. Why did I eat those tacos? Seriously, as if the heartburn weren't enough, she's super active now, I mean like gold medal in the Olympics gymnastics team. Damn, no more Taco Tuesday I guess. May 14th, it's Mother's Day. I got to see the crib again, finished, painted white and set up in the nursery. Bismuth's mom sent us a quilt she made in colors of pale yellows and greens. Oh my god, it has a little ducky on it. I said excitedly. Bismuth laughed, I never thought I'd hear the words, little ducky, come out of your mouth. I'm happy this baby will actually get to sleep in this crib. I can't wait to meet her. Bismuth also found something else for the baby, a camel onesie that says, mommy's little soldier, perfect. May 15th, Bismuth and I discuss names but I haven't found one I really like. He suggested, Spartacus, I suggested he leave the naming up to me if he wasn't going to take this seriously. Besides, we're having a girl. I want something strong, but then I come across a name like Lily June and think, that's sweet. Bismuth says we may want to think about a gender-neutral name. May 16th, he left a note on the fridge with actual suggestions, Flynn, Riley, Jordan, Phoenix, and Storm. At least he's trying. I guess Riley is cute for a boy or girl, but it seems like such a popular name right now, 
I don't want her going into the first day of kindergarten to be labeled Riley number five. I also think Phoenix is powerful and pretty original. June 1st, Alexandrite. Her name is Alexandrite Paloma Cordero. Bismuth says I'm crazy and no that's not going to happen, but it's June's birthstone, well, one of them, and they had a whole display of them as we passed by a jewelry store today. They're so pretty. He reminded me that she or he is due in August and that, no, we're not naming her Peridot either. I laughed, I already know one of those. Alexandrite is a good, strong name with tons of nickname possibilities. June 21st, in honor of the first day of summer, I have indulged in my favorite pregnancy pastime, napping on the floor in a patch of sunshine like a cat. Gave Bismuth a scare when he came in from the garage, but he was relieved to find I was just sleeping. June 22nd, my body is changing so dramatically. It seems like I get bigger every day and no matter how often I use that vitamin E cream, I keep getting stretch marks. I saw an article online where in some countries it's considered a mark of honor and beauty because it means you've had kids. I don't like them, I have enough stripes on my body. My muscles are also not as defined because I haven't been able to work out. I told Bismuth I'm heading to the gym as soon as this kid is born. He laughed and said, honey, you'll be lucky if you can walk after that. July 1st, I suppose it's not so bad, my frame has taken on a feminine appearance for about the first time in my life. I'm a fan of maxi dresses because they're so comfortable when it's been so hot. There is a softness to my body I've never noticed before, but then I've never been off a weightlifting routine for so long. My hair is growing like crazy and bismuth will not let me dye my roots, chemicals, so I have like 4 inches of dark growth before it gives way to a light brown. The exhaustion has kicked in again. Growing a human being is hard. I swear she's sucking the life out of me. July 5th, last night was hell. I wish we could just be normal and go to my parents' place for a barbecue and to enjoy setting off fireworks like I did when I was a kid, before war ruined them for me. I can't believe I'm the same person who just before I left for boot camp, bought 144 Saturn missiles and lit them all off at the same time, the pavement in the cul-de-sac was scorched for months. Usually, Bismuth, who doesn't quite react to fireworks as bad as I do, will be in the garage working on a project while listening to music through noise-canceling headphones. I prefer the coward's way out of taking a powerful tranquilizer about 5 p.m. and spending the night practically comatose where I can't hear the explosions outside. I can't take it while I'm pregnant though, so Bismuth got to hold me all night while I dealt with panic attacks and flashbacks. Least favorite holiday by far. Amethyst remembered the last time they'd spent the holiday together as a family. It was after Jasper's second deployment and they had thought nothing of setting off fireworks like they always did, but something about the sounds and the bright lights terrified her sister to the point where their dad took her into the house and sat with her well into the night while everyone around the neighborhood celebrated. Jasper had been enveloped in her inner torment, screaming, crying and rocking back and forth while their dad did everything he could think of to calm her down. Finally, he gave her Benadryl, the only thing they had that might put her to sleep, and two shots of tequila. She'd spent a restless night on the couch. Amethyst had never seen her like that and even though Jasper never came over on the 4th of July again, they also never set off fireworks after that year. July 19th, if I go into labor at any point after today we're good. I've made it to the safe zone.
I can't wait to meet my baby. We don't talk about what might happen to me but I've got a good feeling. I'm pretty sure everything will be fine. Amethyst read through almost another month's worth of journal entries, which weren't terribly interesting before reaching the last one Jasper ever penned. August 14th, I'm sitting on the porch watching the sun come up. I know in a few minutes Bismuth will probably wake up and wonder where I am. He's been so worried, I don't blame him, so have I, but I know I made the right decision to go through with this even when I was encouraged not to. I know in my heart this is something I have wanted for a long time. We finally talked about it, what if the worst were to happen? Amethyst paused several times reading the rest of the entry to wipe away tears, to take a breath and let it out slowly. She hardly noticed that the sun had come up until she heard birds outside. She looked at the lower right-hand corner of her computer. It was August 16th and she still remembered that morning when the unthinkable had happened and how later on the family would all agree, they'd mourn on Memorial Day because August 16th had to be a happy occasion for the only person in the family who still had no idea how Jasper had actually died. Six years ago today, she had been sitting in the waiting room at the hospital. As soon as Bismuth had called them to say Jasper was in labor, Amethyst's mom made everyone go down there even though it might take hours, or over a day. She only saw her sister once during the night before the labor had progressed too far. Does it hurt? Of course. But you're getting an epidural, right? No. I want to do this naturally, Jasper had said. Their mother had interjected at that point. Jasps, don't be a hero in this. If I'd had the option with you, I'd have taken it. Yeah, Amethyst had agreed. When it's my turn, I'm having an epidural that could take down an elephant. Well, that's you, that's no OT me. Jasper's face contorted in pain and she clenched her fists waiting for it to pass. I know you've made it a habit of not taking my advice, their mother had said. But, as someone who has had two children, I'm going to give it, take it, or leave it. You are strong, but you have people here to help you, take strength and support from them, let Bismuth take care of you while you relax, you will need that strength later. Keep breathing, don't hold your breath whatever you do, it's not doing you or your baby any favors. Again, don't be a hero, scream if you need to. Right now, you need to take a different approach. Get out of soldier mode and get into mother mode. This isn't war, it's life. Amethyst smiled at the memory, now knowing that her sister had seen two or three different sides of herself, she imagined the mother self taking control as the soldier stepped back and finally stopped talking. She had been ready to go through with this. Amethyst and her parents waited all night with Bismuth updating them every so often and it seemed that while it was taking time, as first babies often do, things were going smoothly. At close to six in the morning, Amethyst had texted her best friend to bring her coffee and keep her company as her parents were driving her crazy. Jasper had not allowed anyone, except her husband, in the room while she gave birth, so all Amethyst knew is what she had been told. It seemed her sister had followed their mom's advice and let Bismuth hold her hand, rub her back, feed her ice chips and help keep her as comfortable as possible while she dealt with the pain. Amethyst was later told that when Jasper got close to delivering and the doctor told her so, she'd had a look on her face of determination and a sense of peace. Let's do this, she'd said. Her daughter had been born at 7.57 in the morning and immediately announced her presence with a strong cry.
Bismuth had cut the cord and Alexandrite was handed to her mother, who looked at her with a complete sense of awe. And then Jasper had smiled while unsuccessfully fighting back tears and whispered, I've waited so long to meet you. And everything had seemed perfect. Half an hour passed while the nurses made sure Ali was cleaned and swaddled and that Jasper was comfortable and when she was ready to let her family know, Bismuth had come to the waiting room to announce the happy news. Amethyst's parents had gone to see the baby first. They came back saying how radiant Jasper had looked and how cute Ali was. There was definitely an air of celebration about the day, but when Amethyst went to see her sister, she didn't see that. Jasper had appeared pale and exhausted despite the smile on her face, she didn't even seem to mind that Peridot had tagged along behind Amethyst. Come meet Alexandrite. Amethyst had held her niece for the first time, taking in the tiny perfect features of her face, how light she felt and how fragile she seemed as though if not careful, she'd break somehow. She hardly registered that her sister had lay back against the pillows and didn't really hear Bismuth asking if she was tired. It was Peridot who tapped Amethyst on the arm that alerted her that things were not perfect, but far from it. Jasper's hand was on her chest and she was clearly struggling for breath. A trail of blood had run from the foresight and down her arm. And that's when Amethyst noticed the blood that had traveled down the side of the bed and pooled on the floor. Her ears almost didn't hear the alarms from the monitor or her friend's voice shouting for help. This was bad, very bad, and Amethyst knew it and she felt a lump rise in her throat. This could not be happening, this was a happy day. Jasper, don't be scared. It's going to be fine. Heh, Jasper managed, struggling to hold on to consciousness. Scared, I don't get scared. I'm a... She tried to take a deep gasp. A warrior. She reached out, touching her baby's head. Your, mama's a, warrior. Jasper, you, you can't. No, don't. She was shaking now, no doubt going into shock and her voice getting weaker with every word. We, don't, say, good, bye. Keep holding my hand, Jasps, Bismuth told her as doctors and nurses rushed in to help. Keep holding on. You can do this. Her voice was hardly above a whisper as she was given oxygen. I'm, a warrior. Her lips moved with no sound for a few seconds and then her eyes closed. In what seemed like an instant, the baby had been taken from Amethyst's arms and she found herself outside in a hallway with Peridot. Her friend tried to console her, reminding her Jasper was young and healthy. Bismuth would later tell them that the medical personnel had worked for 45 minutes to save Jasper's life before a senior OB came in, realized exactly what was going on and told them to stop, he told them they would not get her back. It was later explained that during delivery some amniotic fluid had found its way into her sister's body, into her blood, and had caused a catastrophic reaction making her blood unable to clot, making it so she couldn't breathe. It was extremely rare and almost always fatal. Jasper had been pronounced dead at 9.52 in the morning, less than two hours after bringing her daughter into the world. And on what should have been a day of overwhelming joy for the family, their world came crashing down with that news. Amethyst had found it impossible to cry, for her, she simply processed the news with stunned disbelief. Her sister had been strong, she had been to war, she was one of the healthiest people Amethyst knew and yet God, 
whose plan at that moment seemed to make little sense, had called her back by having a baby? Amethyst, in the present, reflected on the words she'd read in Jasper's journals, the disappointments she'd suffered, how she'd longed for a child, how she'd known this could happen and still went through with it. It made it no easier, the day was intertwined with joy and sorrow, with life and death, but Amethyst and the others had to stay strong and save the sorrow for another time. Her door creaked open and Allie tiptoed in, then stopped and grinned when she saw her aunt was awake. Allie was missing a front tooth and the adult one next to the gap had just started coming in. Her hair was going to be a situation to deal with later all tangled and sloppy from being asleep. The light patches on her skin had been getting more obvious throughout the summer. She ran to Amethyst and hugged her. Auntie Ames, guess what? What? I'm six now. Amethyst touched her forehead to Allie's and smiled, though she couldn't stop a tear from sliding down her cheek. Happy birthday, Allie. When do you think we should tell her? Amethyst asked as she helped her mom clean up the kitchen after dinner. Tell who what? You know what? Sure, Allie was in the next room glued to the TV watching a My Little Pony DVD she'd gotten for her birthday, but Amethyst still didn't want her to overhear anything. I think when her father is ready to tell her, he will. We should stay out of it. Amethyst sighed and placed dishes in the sink. It's just a raw deal. She deserves to know the truth. I agree, when she's ready and when her father is ready to tell her. That is not your place, Amethyst. But I'm her. Her what? You're her aunt. She's not your daughter and she's not your sister. Yes, I see Jasper in her too, but they are not one in the same. She's also half of her father. Allie is her own person. I know you feel close to your sister right now because you've been reading those diaries, but no amount of rereading journal entries, or projecting her onto her daughter is going to change the fact that Jasper is gone. Yes, it hurts, but it's time you accepted it and moved on for good. I just... Amethyst stopped scrubbing dishes. Reading her journals makes me see a part of her I didn't know and now I never will and I wish I could have known her better while she was still here. When Jasper died, I felt like I was still such a kid, really. Then when I visited Pearl and Peridot and saw them interacting like actual adults, I realized Jasper and I never had that and we never will. We could have maybe been so close now. Wishing things differently inhibits you from moving on. And have you moved on? Amethyst asked. I like to think I have most days, but then there are times, such as today or around her birthday and holidays that are hard. It's not easy missing someone, Ames. She tucked a loose strand of hair behind her daughter's ear. And there's no set timeline for grief, it's always going to hurt in some way, but there is a point where you have to let go. Just, now that I'm writing everything down and finding out all about her experiences there are still questions and gaps I wish I could ask her about. Her mother sighed. And those will probably never be answered. I mean, she hardly wrote anything about her time as a war prisoner and honestly, I had always wanted to ask her about that, but your father thought it was a bad idea. Amethyst had not shared the captured journal with her parents. Yeah, I wondered about that too. He says he knew people when he was in the service who had horrible things done to them and I know she did what with the extent of her injuries and how lost she seemed when she came home. 
I wanted her to get out but she wouldn't hear of it. Duty before self, she told me. It really was, duty before everything. Except once, Amethyst thought, recalling how the military doctor had told her sister she should terminate her pregnancy even though she was so far along. Perhaps she had been willing to put her duty before herself, but not before her child. And from that moment until she died, her duty really had been to her daughter. 